Eduardo. Cyril, it looks like we finally got it right. How are you doing, buddy? Technology. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> awesome. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing today? Oh, fantastic. Hi, I'm Cyril, your host, and welcome to my podcast that I called I Really Want to Do This. In this podcast, I interview guests from all walks of life and try to understand the various ways that different types of people with different backgrounds and experiences succeed in achieving their goals in their very own ways. Think of the past 10 years in your own life. Have you had a personal goal, an objective? Maybe you call it a dream of doing this one thing. You really want to do that one thing, whatever it may be, but for some reason, you never succeeded in making it actually happen. Well, by showcasing successful achievers and asking them how they did it, I sincerely hope that this podcast will give you some ideas and maybe answers on where to start, how to proceed, in order to actually do that one thing that you really want to do. Hi everyone, this is your host, Cyril, and this is my podcast. I really want to do this. Uh, today, we have Ian, and we're so happy to have Ian with us today. Ian, uh, how are you doing today? Uh, Cyril, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I love it. Fantastic is a beautiful word, isn't it? <laughs> it's a beautiful uh, word. And when it actually captures how you're doing, it's even more beautiful. Yes. Uh, Ian, I want to get to know you uh, because I know you a little bit already, but uh, I want all the listeners to get to know you. And let's start by... Where are you right now and where were you born and, and uh, what's going on in your life right now? Uh, I am sitting in Walnut Creek, California in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. I was um, born here in the Bay Area and raised in Santa Rosa, which is in Sonoma County, which is where we met Cyril. Mm -hmm. uh, we were both living there at the time. I happen to be raised there and it's a very beautiful place. If any of your listeners have not been there, I highly recommend visiting because it's God's truly God's country. Mm -hmm. Well, there's wine and the, the, the ocean is not that far and there's hills and beautiful forest, right? And hiking is beautiful. So you were raised there. Tell, tell me about your childhood and, and your family environment in, ge in general. When you were born, is, is uh, the childhood that you had is similar to the ones you give your kids? Tell me about that. Um, yeah, you know, I guess um, in some ways I'm doubly blessed in that I had a idyllic childhood growing up in Santa Rosa, a two-parent household with loving parents and a very wonderful group of friends, many of whom I'm still friends with today and have been supporters of my stroke recovery, mm -hmm. riding bikes around, you know, I'm 52, I just turned 52. So I grew up at a time when we still were out until dark every night in the streets playing and riding our bikes everywhere. 
Yeah. It really was a wonderful way to grow up. Mm -hmm. Totally trouble-free and carefree, which is how a childhood should be supposed to be, yeah? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, for some reason, we've gone a little bit away from that in the current generation. Mm -hmm. We're a little bit more protective of our kids. Yeah. For example, my kids, I have two boys the same age as your two boys, which is how we met. And mm -hmm. um, my boys are not having the exact same experience. They tend to get rides most places they go instead yeah. of biking or walking, which is what we used to do. Mm -hmm. And it might be a little overprotective and it's maybe just a little bit safer. But regardless of the reason, they are missing out on some of the experiences that I had as a child. Mm -hmm. tell, tell me about your position in the family. Do you have any siblings and uh, what's your relationship with them? Um, I have one older sister. Um, she is a couple of years older than me and when we were growing up, we were very close. She has since sort of dropped out of society a little bit and moved. She lives on the North shore of Oahu and Hawaii, mm -hmm. um, which is, as you know, a very beautiful place. I love it there. And um, we don't have a lot of contact, not that we're not close or anything. When I talk with her, it's just like old times. We have to share a lot of laughs together, mm -hmm. a lot of inside jokes. She's a beautiful person with a big heart. And it's just that she is not very communicative. Mm -hmm. That's life, isn't it? Is, is how it goes. Yeah, That's true. But I think the most important thing is that your family is always going to be your family. So she's moved on a little bit and I moved on quite a bit. I have my own family now. Mm -hmm. But Emily is always my sister, first and foremost. And I will always be there for her. I know she would always be there for me if she could. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you had a stroke and we're going to talk about it because this is uh, obviously tre tremendous impact in your life. Uh, but I want to know, tell me about your life before the stroke. Uh, did you tell me about it just in your own words? Well, um, Starting in 2016, a series of events befell me, which honestly I would not believe unless I lived through it. Prior to that, I was a public health, public interest attorney working uh, across the nation on legislation to improve public health, traveling almost every month somewhere else to give a presentation or work with a local or state government. And I'm using air quotes here, but you can't see. Mm -hmm. A quote-unquote normal guy, two kids, love nothing more than hanging out with my family, and an avid tennis player mm -hmm. playing competitive tennis and playing four or five days a week tennis. Wow. And then um, out of the blue, in September 2016, I went on a business trip to Atlanta to give a presentation at the Centers for Disease Control. They were funding a project that I had been managing about public health, and I was going to report to a group of public health officials from across the nation at the CDC about the project. So I gave my presentation. After that, uh, I'm talking to somebody, a public health officer from a small county in Michigan in the room about another project that he wants help with. 
And I start slurring my speech and out of the blue, he says, Ian, I think you're having a stroke. Mm. And I tell you, Cyril, those are never the words you want to hear. Mm-hmm. But you were so, um, super healthy. I started. Yeah. Yeah, I was um, healthy and on top of my health. I regularly visited the doctor. Yeah. You know, I was not in perfect health, but I definitely was. It was a surprise to me. Yeah. And I won't go into this in a minute, but it turns out, unbeknownst to me at the time, I had a dissected carotid artery in my neck, which we are almost certain occurred because I was getting my neck adjusted by a chiropractor before I went to Atlanta. Okay. Wow. And so um, I'm talking to this gentleman from Michigan, and I start slurring my speech. He tells me he thinks I'm having a stroke. And within a few minutes, I honestly start feeling better. I was lightheaded, but Mm. they had me sit down on the ground. And because the room was full of health professionals, who many of whom had training as nurses or EMTs, everybody rushed over to me sitting on the ground and started putting me through a battery of field tests. Could I raise my arm? Right. How's my speech? Things like that. And I started feeling better and I wanted to go up to my room and take a nap because my room was in the same hotel where the conference was being held. And they said, no, we insist that you go to the hospital in an ambulance. So they called 911 mm-hmm. and an ambulance came and they whisked me away. And I was super, super embarrassed about it. Right. And then uh, they take me to a, the nearby hospital in Atlanta. They do a battery of tests. And they say, as far as we can tell, you had a small stroke, but it seems to have resolved itself. So we're going to keep you overnight for observation. Right. So I spent my first ever night in a hospital that night for observation. And then I get up in the morning and they bring me in a very kind of gross breakfast of some applesauce and raisins and (laughs) a sugary juice. Mm -hmm. And then I, I start taking a sip of the juice and immediately I, something major happens. And I don't know what it is, but I feel like a deadening of my leg. And it turns out that I had a major, major, massive stroke at that point in the hospital. Could you call the emergency on, on the button or something you could press or how, what happened then? Oh yeah, so I'm sorry about that. I, as soon as I started feeling the deadening of my leg, I hit the call button, emergency button on the bed. And I don't remember anything else except for a few minutes later, they had already talked to my wife's star on the phone, telling her that I had a massive stroke and they had to airlift me to a stroke emergency center that happens to be in Atlanta as well. Mm-hmm. So the very next thing I remember is they're wheeling my bed up to the roof of the hospital. It's a beautiful, glorious September day in Atlanta. I'm on the roof with a hospital, with a helicopter rotor, like moving around, causing a lot of noise and wind. And they asked me if I'm scared of helicopters. I said, well, just tell me what to do is what I say. Yeah. They said, well, we're going to have to helicopter you over to this other hospital. And you were, at this point, you were conscious. How did you feel? At that, at that moment, when they put me in the helicopter, I was conscious. But that's the very last thing I remember for a period of probably several days to a week. 
because they airlifted me. I found this out after the fact that they airlifted me over to the stroke trauma center. And I went into a coma where I was in a, for a period of several days in the ICU. Mm-hmm. And then um, they did an emergency surgery to remove some of the clots from my brain. And during the emergency surgery, the surgeon had talked to my wife star on the phone and warned her that during the surgery, there was a chance I could have a bleed of the brain, which is another type of stroke, which it turned out happened. So they did that surgery. I had a bleeding of the brain. I went back to ICU and had a series of additional problems that fell out from that like pressure building in the brain. So they ended up having to take off about a quarter of my skull to relieve the pressure. Mm. So, you know, Cyril, it's just a bad luck series of events that happened in the best luck way possible. Because if I wasn't in the hospital already when it started, I surely would have just died. Mm. And the fact that I was there and they airlifted me over and were able to take care of it, even though it was bad luck overall, I'm still here able to talk to you and be here with my family. Mm-hmm. Wow. So this happens, you wake up and your family's around you. And how do you feel at that point? And can you actually believe what's happened to you? And what are your first thoughts, if you can recall? Um, funny enough, Cyril, when I come out of the coma, you know, my first thought is that I'm thirsty as all get up. I've, I've never been so thirsty in my whole life. And I think the reason for that is because I had been intubated for 60 days, six days with tubes down my throat, throat to feed me and to uh, breathe. And that probably caused a lot of trauma for my throat. And um, I was so, so thirsty. All I wanted was some purple Gatorade. Uh-huh. But I couldn't drink anything at that moment because I... The stroke had, the strokes had affected my ability to swallow, so I couldn't drink anything. And the very first person I fell in love with after my strokes was the speech, path, speech pathologist who eventually gave me some purple Gatorade to sip on. Mm-hmm. It was the most amazing thing I'd ever drink in my life. And um, she had to monitor my swallowing very carefully, but she gave me like a small Dixie cup of purple Gatorade. I took a small sip. And it just was in heaven for the first time. Mm. And my family were there with me. All of my best friends had flown out from wherever they were in the country. I had several friends there helping to deal with the whole situation. And, you know, I was so cognitively impaired that I don't remember a whole lot of it anyway. Mm -hmm. I just remember snippets of seeing like some of my good friends or some of my family members. And... That's about all I remember for the next six weeks, which is when I finally was flown back to California. Mm-hmm. Back home and having to deal with the consequences of that stroke. Oh yeah, they flew me back to California um, on a medical evacuation flight that was surreal unto itself. I got back to California and spent six more weeks in a rehabilitation, acute rehabilitation facility in Vallejo, where I basically woke up the very first day and started been to a briefing 
by the hospital staff about what um, had happened mm -hmm. and what it was going to take to get better. And start that first day, crawled into bed with me. And I, at this point, I was actually aware of what was going on around me for the very first time. And explained to me, you know, Ian, here's what we're dealing with. You had a very, very serious series of strokes. And it's possible to get better, but you're going to be affected. And it's going to take a lot of patience and a lot of perseverance. Because you can get better, but it's going to take a lot of hard work starting here in this acute rehab hospital, doing all the therapy that you need to do. And then if you do all that, eventually you're going to be able to come home with me and be at home and still continue on with your journey. What was your first reaction to those words? Was it, I'm going to do this and... I know it's going to be hard, but this is what I want. Like, like more of a bring it on kind of, or was it, I can't believe this. Why is this happening to me? I mean, I'm sure it was all together at the same time, but do you recall what was your, your, your thought process through that news? Oh, totally. You know, Cheryl, I was coming at that point, I was coming off a month that had been unbelievable for me. I'd been in and out of ICU in Atlanta taken my first ambulance ride, stayed in a hospital for the first time, taken a cross-country medical evacuation flight. And I had finally realized what my new reality was when Star crawled into bed with me and told me. And I've never been afraid of hard work in my life. Mm -hmm. In fact, I relish it. Mm -hmm. If there's a big project to manage or something to do, I'm ready to tackle it. So my only reaction to what Star told me was, Hell yeah, bring it on. Let's do this. Whatever I need to do. If there's something I can do to do it, let's do it. Right. Like a, like a winning thought process. Hmm. It's and like, from, in, my, in my opinion, it's the only thought process. Yes. When I did my first crossing in 2016, I was about to take off and I received this email from a friend. The zero, the challenge is going to be hard. It's going to be 40 days or little sleep. It's going to be hard. But no matter what you go through, remember that you chose to do it. And when the stroke happened to you, I was really like, wow, this is what he meant. Like how tough you would have to be, like how resilient you have to be, how you strong you would have to be when you have to go through something that is so hard, but you didn't choose it. Um, and I see that you have the winning mindset, which is amazing. Um, what went on through your mind after that? You surrounded yourself with professionals. Tell me about maybe a motto that you created that would help you through that. Well, um, you know, Cyril, it's um, interesting you should ask because I'm a big believer in the philosophy of stoicism and we cannot, based on the stoic philosophy, there's a saying that we cannot control what happens to us in life. The only thing that we can control is how we respond. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So of course I didn't choose to have multiple strokes and 
I didn't choose to be paralyzed from head to toe on my left side and lose vision in one eye. I immediately developed a project management plan to do what I had to do to get back to functionality and mm. independence, which is my overarching goal. I treated it like any other project that I would manage, like at work, a large scale project, or maybe how you would manage preparations for an ocean crossing. Mm-hmm. I assembled a team of people with the right expertise and skills that I trust. I developed the plan myself without any meaningful guidance from Kaiser, which is our insurer. And based on the saying of one of my former tennis captains, I developed this philosophy that I call inch by inch. Mm -hmm. And my former tennis captain, who I love to death, would use this saying, come on, guys, inch by inch for this match, meaning that you can't win a tennis match all at once. Mm -hmm. You have to do everything right every step of the way. Point by point, yeah. Not only point by point, but like, shot by shot and in order to make the next shot you have to get in position by taking the right step get yourself in position and be ready and if you do everything right it doesn't seem like a big deal each individual step but every step will get you towards where you want to be and eventually end up in a victory mm-hmm. and that's very much resonated with me about how my stroke recovery has been mm-hmm. because Initially, like I said, I was paralyzed from head to toe on the left side. I couldn't even move or roll over in bed or do anything. But when I started assembling my team, my first uh, therapist that came in, who's become a very close friend in addition to my guiding therapist for my entire recovery, Skylar, started me with a series of exercises, trying to, first of all, just visualizing moving my left leg a little bit. Yeah. And then after visualizing, two weeks later, had me move it literally less than an inch up off the ground. And I did that over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it's boring as all get up. And then several weeks after that, we lifted it another inch off the ground. Mm-hmm. And a few weeks after that, he had me standing and weight bearing on the leg. And so it's, it was a series of inches mm-hmm. that have added up to today. I'm ambulatory and can walk with a cane. It's certainly not pretty, but mm-hmm. amazing. And how, how did you, well, those are all the successes are one after the other little success and another success and another success. Tell me about how you 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 managed the roadblocks where you thought you would be faster and recovering, and also I'm mean, really interesting in the in the psychology of it. Uh, you know, you could go come up with a lot of very pretty f- phrases like the obstacle is the way, and you know, but in in reality, how do you deal with with this uh, daily? Well, you know, it's um, an interesting question to ask right now. And my answer, my the short answer is that every single day you have to want to beat the stroke more than the stroke wants to beat you down. Mm-hmm. Because every single movement I do and everything I do during the day takes 100% focus for me. And at this particular moment, it's an interesting question to ask me because 
I'm dealing with kind of unique challenge. I'm coming off of some post-traumatic stress disorder mm -hmm. because over the last year and a half, I've had falls, several falls to my left side while I'm walking that have resulted in four broken bones, a broken shoulder, two broken ribs, and broken wrist. And every one of the falls is a very slow fall over to my affected left side, like a tree toppling over. Mm -hmm. And so um, earlier this year, out of the blue, after walking just fine with my cane up until February, something happened and we think it was PTSD where I got paralyzed with anxiety and couldn't walk like across an open room. So that's been a new roadblock to have to deal with. Ever since February, you know, I had been using the wheelchair to get around again because of this PTSD and Skylar and my other excellent therapist, Bree, who's a, an important member of my team, are almost sure that it's a result of my falls over to my left. So they developed a plan with me to get past that. We're starting almost back at square one again. Mm -hmm. So we're back at square one, starting with just weight shifting over to my affected side, sitting to standing, things like that. And it's all, it's a mental game as much as a physical game because the physical skills I've been working on for five years and they're there. And now I've had a mental roadblock due to all my falls, but I want to do it so badly that I just had to work through it. Mm -hmm. And whenever it takes, I'm going to do it. So I was out there in the therapy studio doing my work today. And I got back in and I wrote Skylar a text when I got in. Skylar, I just got back from the barn. And guess what? I crushed my walk in both ways. I shifted my weight to my left side and my right side. Just fine. Wow. Amazing. She must be so proud, eh? Um, absolutely. Mm. And by the way, uh, Skylar, I will say, is a man. And he oh, is the man. Yeah. He he's the guy I credit with getting me up and walking from day one. He's a guy, like I said, who had me lifting my leg an inch off the ground from the first week I was home. He has now got me through this PTSD. He also happens to be a professional ultimate disc player. You might not have known that there is a, such a thing as a professional ultimate frisbee league, but there is. It's the AUDL. American Ultimate Disc League, and he's on the San Jose Spiders. We went out and watched a game. Yeah, so we went out and watched a professional Ultimate Disc um, League game, which I would highly recommend for any of your listeners. It was held at Oakland Technical High School, so it was on a high school soccer field, which means that we were very, very close to the action, and these guys are really tremendous athletes to see from that close up. And we were there to cheer on Skyler, of course. So cool. But the whole match was just incredible that this world exists, and I didn't know that it existed. Mm -hmm. I'm just blessed to be working with Skyler. He is a perfect match for me. He's probably, I'm probably old enough to be his father, technically, because he's, I think, in his 30s. Uh, and a fantastic athlete. And we share a lot of laughs during our sessions. And not only is he a skilled physical therapist with training at UCSF, but he's a world-class athlete 
and he knows how to get me motivated. He's my personal trainer as much as my therapist, because mm -hmm. a lot of what we do is try to build strength and endurance as much as motor skills and neurological recovery. And he has the perfect set of skills for that. And I'm just blessed to have found him. Tell me about the strategies that we could learn from that you had to develop. Maybe in a mental way or like a, a way of seeing things, the reality of adapting to the situation about uh, creating new goals, about all these, you know, mental ways that you had to create to, to advance. Well, I got, I got a whole lot of them, Cyril, and I have a blog that I write about them all. And the, this is a mental game as much as a physical game. And then what I've learned and that I think is transferable to any activity is that I can only make an inch at a time. Because, I, you know, I, I, I never in five years have had one monstrous gain. But I've gone from wheelchair bound and not being able to roll over in bed to walking last Thanksgiving almost two miles and feeling strong the whole way. And all of that progress was made one inch at a time. There was no way to go faster, but those inches will add up in any pursuit. So everything takes patience, but eventually if you focus on quality, quality repetition on the next repetition, then you can build on that. And eventually there's a lot of progress. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that uh, I've learned throughout this process. And the next thing is something that has brought me out of my PTSD problem that I'm having this year. And I actually read it on a stroke survivors, other young stroke survivors. And that is the brain can't really process the negative correctly. Like if you're looking at a forest of trees and you want to get through it and you tell your brain, don't look at the trees. All you're going to see are the trees. Right. But if you tell your brain, look at the path through the forest, then you will see the path through the forest. So you just have to, I have to tell myself that I can see the way through mm. and not see the obstacles. So that's how I've been trying to, get through this PTSD I'm dealing with, my newest mantra is see the path, not the trees. Yeah. And if you don't see the path right now, believe that you'll find it as you walk, right? Because oh, you, can't, absolutely. you can't see the path from outside the forest. You just have to trust the process, start walking and, and adapt to where the path will take you. Right. Hmm. Oh, you said it, brother. Trust the process. That's that's another one that's hugely important. Uh, I used to manage a lot of large legal projects, and I have a lot of tr faith in my project management skills and my intellectual ability. And I applied the same process to creating my routine for stroke recovery. And I think I have a solid plan. And sometimes it doesn't feel like it's working, but I have the right personnel, the right plan, and you have to trust it. You you nailed it. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that blog. I think it's uh, super amazing. What is uh, your purpose of that blog? You write every day or, or every week? And who is it targeted to? And how can we help in sharing that information? 
Well, thank you for asking about it. Um, you know, I, I love writing in general. Uh, a lot of a lot of positive feedback from people saying we are really inspired. We love what you're doing and how you describe it. So I was doing that on Facebook for about a year. And then um, what happened was I had to stop working and my wife star is still working. And this is kind of an expensive endeavor. So we started um, trying to look at a way to raise some additional funds to support my recovery. And one of my good buddies who had flown out to Atlanta, who I know from law school, suggested, Ian, why don't you take your blog over to this other site, Patreon, where people subscribe to the site. And if they want to contribute towards your recovery, they can chip in a few bucks every month. Mm-hmm. And they can read your blog on that side. And you can also raise a little bit of money towards your therapy. Yeah. So I moved my blog over to this other site, Patreon. It costs a few dollars to uh, subscribe. And there's different tiers of subscription. But I write every single day about my thoughts on life and like how my day's going, that sort of thing. And then I have ongoing pieces that I write that are longer about my ongoing activities. Like, for example, I wrote recently a long piece about this PTSD issue I've been having with walking and how I've overcome that. And it's, you know, it's been a really cathartic and enriching way for me to process what I'm having to do here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's wonderful to feel like I have a virtual community of supporters who read every day. Almost every day I get a text from a supporter who said like you know Ian I read what you wrote this morning and here's my thoughts on it I love it or whatever yeah it's a way to connect with people and have them support my recovery mainly it's like my friends who want to follow along closely with what I'm doing and I keep in touch with them separately and offline as well yeah but the blog is a great way to connect with them and allow them to know what's going on with my day-to-day work on my recovery journey. In addition to what my journey has taught me about life in general, there's a lot of life lessons to be gleaned from any hardship. And I am very aware that those lessons are equally applicable to other people I know who are just living their life and working, raising a family have not had a stroke, are planning other trips or events in their lives. Mm-hmm. So I am, hope I'm able to recognize how what I'm going through is applicable to what they're going through and share that. Mm-hmm. What is the the address or how can we find the, the website or the blog or the pa- Patreon blog? It's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And slash, my username is inch by inch stroke recovery. Patreon.com slash inch by inch stroke recovery. Okay. Perfect. That's easy to find. I love it. Well, I'll, you know, I'll send all the followers, whoever listens to that, to to read it. But I will definitely go and read it because, like you said, there's so many lessons that you can teach us about this on a, on a daily basis daily basis of living our lives. Tell me about 
how you appreciate things on a daily basis, what you take on looking at your kids growing up, does it, has it taken more value to you? Oh man, Cyril, now you're going to make me all emotional because um, it's really unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Very um, fulfilled in my life and very happy with my life before and very much enjoyed being with my family. I coached my older boys, uh, Sam's baseball team a couple of times. And I spent almost every waking hour I could with my family and my boys. And then all of that was taken away from me. And now that I am able to be a presence and be with my family again, it's almost trite to say it, but every minute is golden to me. I'm just grateful. Fantastic. I'm grateful to hear my boys laugh. I'm grateful when they ask me to uh, do something that might have been tiresome for me before how it's a gift to be able to uh, to be with them. Yeah. And like I said, now I'm all emotional. Mm. Mm. Good emotions, though, because this is what it's all about, right? Family. And we, we all know it. We, we should live in the moment, but sometimes we're caught into work and, and activities and, and we forget to see the, the moment. But uh, thanks for reminding us about this. Oh, yeah. I would say um, I try not to waste any moment. And even though at this moment in my life, I am still very limited physically in what I can do. And my vision is very bad. They're all precious. Mm -hmm. Ian, thank you so much for sharing all this and sharing um, honestly, authentically, and allowing yourself to be vulnerable. I, this is something I really want with this podcast is people to come and, and do that. So thank you so much. As a conclusion, if you had to give one takeaway to the listeners, what, only one thing that they should remember, what, uh, what would be your, your advice? Um, my overarching advice would be before you can do it, you have to visualize that you can do it, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Love it. Oh, well, I'll be thinking about this all day. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, one more thing is uh, I've asked you like all my other guests to listen to a song before you could come in and, and maybe uh, you did, maybe you didn't have time, maybe you, and I, I believe that there's always those songs that we go to and put us in a good mood. Uh, tell me about the, the song that uh, you've chosen. Um, I was starting to say that when I read your message about listening to a song to pump me up, I was pretty stoked about it because I had just finished my physical therapy workout by myself out in the studio. And... I started listening to The Man by The Killers, which is a song that Skylar one time texted me after a PT session. And his text said, Ian, you know, I heard this song on the way home by The Killers called The Man, and it reminded me of you because it says, 
I've got gas in the tank. I've got money in the bank. <laughs> Look at me, baby. I'm the man. And I remind me of you, Ian, because you're the man. And then, you know, every time I every time I do PT now, I listen to it, and it totally gets me pumped up, and it gives me that confidence and the visualization that I need. I tell myself I got gas in the bank. I've got money in the bank. Yeah, gas in the tank. <laughs> I love it. You do, my friend. You do. Oh, man. That's fantastic. Um, listen, that was amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. I'll, I'm sure everybody's going to go and, and read your blog. Um, and uh, keep at it, my friend. That's that's the name of the so game. That's good stuff. I got to say also, um, congratulations on... I know you didn't make your ocean crossing this time, but... I was really inspired by your preparation and your ambition to do it. And I know you'll get there. Ah, uh, yes. It's a setback, but I did I what I thought everything I could to, to prepare, you know. Uh, but unfortunately, the ocean was big and it tells you something. And, um, you know, I wasn't really in control. <laughs> and when they tell, the ocean tells you something, the wise, wise man listens. <laughs> Exactly, and I think a white, you you were wise to do what you did, but setbacks happen, and you can't control that. Like I said earlier, the only thing you control is how you respond. So keep up your ambition and keep up your preparation. Thank you. Yeah. Do, do what you can. Yes. Get have one year to get ready, and the dream is very much alive. So I'm going to go for it, and and Hawaii is is waiting, and uh, maybe you could fly there in Oahu when I get there, and and. We'll have a nice little Mai Tai together. <laughs> got, a, got a boy. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll be in touch soon, Ian. Right on, Cyril. Awesome. Have a great day, my friend. Thank you. Big hug to you and the family. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm your host, Cyril. And remember, life is an adventure. Leave it.